Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 451 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Kim Valori and Yuha Ilimaki of Muro Studios Nastum about the design and development of their dark fantasy-based action-adventure game, Doomblade. Movement. Doomblade is about movement. More than anything. Yes, there's positioning, yes, there's your range of attacks but it's all really when it boils down to it movement and the ability of the player to transverse the realm they find themselves in by hanging on for dear life to a massive blade that's twice as big as they are at least the avatar they're playing extraordinary game beautiful game in both sonically and visually, the lighting's amazing, the sound design, which we go into great depth about in this episode of The Sausage Factory. Because, well, there's a unique aspect about how Doom Blade was, de- Doom Blade, Doom Blade, Doom Blade was designed. And it's quite interesting, the approach they took. Some might say it's a bit um, horse before the cart. Well, let's just see about that. So let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Kim and Yuha about the creation of Doomblade. Chris, take it away. Hello, Kim and Yuha. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us, in that order, Kim and Yuha, who you are and what do you do? I'm Kim. I'm the lead designer and coder at Mora Studios. And... Basically, that means my life right now revolves around a game game we just released called Doomblade. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm Yuha. I do the art and animation for Doomblade here. Oh, it's your fault. So it's your fault then. I've got all these nightmares. Thanks for the fuel. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> now it was a pleasure to do it. <laughs> I'm sure it was. So again, in the order, Kim and Yuka, could you tell us how did you make your start 
making video games? I guess for me, the sort of spark came pretty late because I was finishing off my bachelor's degree in computer science. And there I started messing around with uh, Unity 3D game making engine and uh, got hooked. And I have no idea why, but before that point, I had not even considered a career in game development. Like I played games all my life. All I did was play games and now I knew how to code. So those two mixed pretty naturally. Um, then, I, then I went to another school to learn game design. Right. Okay. So I got a master's, master's degree in that. And that's where I met Yuha. We started to make games together. And even before the master's degree was done, we had set up a company and we were making games together. That's how I got started. And you, huh? How did you go make your start? It sounds like very similar. Your, your path, your, your path with Kim uh, was established during the Masters, but what were you doing before then? Uh, yeah, before Masters, I was for a few years in a in a game company here in, in, in Finland as a level designer. And also, like, before that, I got a Bachelor in Computer Arts, and I... I think like yeah, in, in my case, I have from really early days kind of, well, I don't think it was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the game industry, but from really early days, I think it has been something kind of always really inspiring to think about like how are games made and how cool are the developers who made these amazing things. And, you know, I think it's kind of always been there uh, that would be so cool to be able to make you know, uh, cool games, and and here we here we have Doomblade. Ta-da! Yeah, which is pretty awesome. It, it is, it is. Things are going to be said later on, but before we do that, uh, I need to ask you that this question could be both of you could answer it as part of Miro Studios or individually. It's entirely up to you, but it's it's a very important question because you are making things. What do you believe are your biggest influences? Well, uh, well, I guess for me it's just trying to give uh, people, you know, the that amazing feeling of immersion, immersion in in the game we make, and uh, and you know, I, I think that's that's kind of the first thing that just comes to my mind that you know it's a pretty pretty beautiful thing we can as game developers try to achieve that you know a person as a game gamer who plays the, the game can actually immerse himself totally in that game world we have been building and i think that's really inspiring to think about like to try to create something so awesome that someone you know wants to take a take a dive in there and just go with the flow where are you kim anything you want to add to this Mm, well it's because because i'm kind of maybe lost in the semantics of the question because it's about influences but at the same time what drives us and like so I guess, like, if I try to somehow tie these two together, I think for me, the thing that drives me most in game development, even though I totally connect with everything that you have said. But Ooh. for me, it's maybe a bit more of this kind of a personal thing with games okay. as an art form, and it comes from Magic the Gathering, the card game, even though that hasn't really 
It doesn't have that much to do with our action game and the action games that we make, but basically I played Magic for a long time. I still play it, but I played it for a long time before I started making games and somehow the connections to like playing Magic and solving puzzles there are present in game development as well. So basically trying to find these synergies and connections, how I can make new things, think outside the box. So for instance, making entirely new kind of game mechanics in well-established genres and so on, sort of try to break the format, so to speak. And that's yeah. something that really motivates me in game development. Perfect. Perfect. So next question then. And again, this is going to be individual, this one, not uh, not the nebulous one that the last one was. <laughs> but it's still no, no less more difficult. But here we go. Kim, what video game developer do you admire most and why? I'm trying to... I haven't thought about it too much because there are some game developers I truly do admire. Um, I think I think maybe it's, maybe it's Hideo Kojima. Okay. And I think where that comes from the most is from the very first Metal Gear that he made because... Uh, I read about it that the way he approached it was that he had a completely different kind of a task than making a game like Metal Gear. They were trying to make a more action, uh, action-y game, but then the limitations of the hardware were too much, and he had to come up with something else. And that's why he kind of out of necessity created this kind of a sneaking game that had some kind of stealth mechanics kind of and stuff like that and that's exactly kind of what I what I like and you know what I want to do it's what I was talking about with the magic stuff as well that you're kind of forced into certain set of rules but then you're trying to sort of make the restrictions work for you and think outside the box so you don't just try to well I guess I can only have three enemies on the screen instead of five on this hardware you don't do that Instead, you're like, make it work for you. You're like, well, what kind of a game would be good if I can only have this and this? So. No, that's, that's fair. Well, yeah, I think um, is it, you're talking about the very first Metal Gear, not Solid. You mean the, very, the yeah, MSX? Yeah, the very first. So the game on the MSX and eventually arrived yes, on the NES. That one, and that yeah. one, yeah. yeah. So I'm very old, so I, I, I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Penguin Adventures is still an amazing game. You don't know what it is. That's what I think. I think I think that's his first game, but I don't know. But it's oh, great. I, didn't, I, I yeah. don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. You can hunt it out. And go. This game's bonkers. Anyway, <laughs> Yuka, who do you believe? Uh, who do you point at and say, "Please carry on with what you're doing. You're very good." Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if if we are here to pick one, I, I think I just I just give you Lord British, Richard Garriott. I think, uh, well, I guess I can kind of refer back to what kind of inspires me that the world building, the immersion that he and his team in so early days brought to players in the, in the Ultima series and all that. And obviously all, all amazing things that came out of origin, like looking glass and all 
unbelievable things. And that's why I think he's the he's the guy I pick for this one. <clears throat> Fair response. He's uh, responsible for a lot of what we now take for yeah. granted. Yeah, yeah, it's uh and it's uh, it's a really interesting the whole story of origin and everything because there was just this kind of a, a book, some sort of Kickstarter book called Through the Looking Glass. No, no, through the no through the Moon Gate or something like this. Yeah, right. It was called and and it actually like told the story like how he with his brother played D and D back home and somehow like coded with those ancient machines on some kind of cards the first it's crazy to think about like how what can't even imagine how it has been back then too so last question of the first half here we go again this is going to be an individual one kim what are you playing right now mm. i know Let's not go into Magic the Gathering because it's a Magic <laughs> Arena, but yeah, I, I that's I, I'm still stuck with Hades. The, the sequel's coming out, but I'm still stuck with it. I I have nothing left to achieve in the game, but I can't let go. It's just so the gameplay feels so good. It's like I feel like it's kind of like the equivalent of the the older generation than me like sitting on the sofa and just turning the television on it's like <laughs> i just take the controller and it just it's just a place to escape it just feels so good to play the game nice you huh what's uh, what's the what are you distracting yourself with these days well i think like right at the moment uh the what I, who I play with is my three little daughters back home, so I haven't unfortunately really had that much time to put myself into a new game experience because it's been super hectic this whole spring. But yeah, I have a, obviously quite a lot of like games in the backlog to start with when I finally have that moment. <laughs> it's coming soon. It's coming soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you know that, but anything you think of? I mean, we do have that guest say, you know, I really want to get my teeth into this when I get a moment. Well, the, the game what I'm actually right now going through is the <clears throat> the, the new System Shock that just came out, the remake. Like, obviously, I haven't really got far with that, but uh, since, yeah, the time restrictions are quite quite there, but was pretty awesome to see that happening finally and you know and just one day i will try to <laughs> actually really get in there once once again <clears throat> it's interesting to see what they've done to make it still maintain the spirit more than the spirit the actual core game itself from the original whilst yeah 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 there's like that retro vibes in the visual still even though it looks you know modern and all that so yeah and i and i think they even kind of somehow pivoted on some point like they were going more i don't know somehow like in their own direction but then somehow i, I suppose they kind of backed up a bit and went back to the kind of original retro vibes of system shock and that was 
I, I think it was a good, good choice. At least it looks pretty awesome. It's a it's a welcome sight. I do remember playing the original, but uh, I'd be intrigued how because there were some horrible interface issues with the original, but, uh, especially the hacking bit. Never convinced. Anyway, <laughs> let us move on. We could do that for hours, but let us move on to the second half of the show where we're going to be delving deep into Doomblade. First question, it's more like a request, really. But I'd just like to, either of you could have a go at this. What do you believe is Doomblade? Well, Doomblade is a Metroidvania that you start with an ability that you might think that you would get as the last ability in some other Metroidvania. So that's the core. The core is starting with release, something really powerful. You can. Uh, defeat basic enemies just by clicking on them and it launches you on this flight so your mobility and your combat abilities are are really high powered from the get-go yes the the um main protagonist um is actually the doom blade itself <laughs> um the um, creature that Doom Girl sort of she wraps herself around it um, is more just uh, there for the ride. Really, it's the it's the Doom Blade that's doing. I think anyway, that's how I interpret it to be um, doing most of the work. So everyone, it's a two D side sort of on movement, sort of free movement, sort of you know, within the limits of boundaries of platforms and what have you, and of course gravity. Ultimately, you're free to move where you can, pretty much anywhere. And uh, the primary movement is you basically aim a reticule at an enemy and then hit it. (laughs) And when you do with the blade, it just leaps at it at great speed. Unlike when Doom Girl's running around and, and crawling around, she's got little tentacle legs and she doesn't move very fast at all. But when she's well, sorry, when the Doom Blade is killing everything, 
she's kind of like hanging on for dear life, swinging around and stuff. So, indeed, I want to ask about that because Kim, you answered a fantastic question, which I didn't have in the background. Like, why is it? Why you know? Why is the why is she so formidable as a power? It's not her at all. It's this Doomblade, but this movement is very very rapid. When, as we say, when we're destroying things, and I'm going to ask you, there's the one thing I really want to sort of congratulate you on because you could have got this horrifically wrong because of the rate, the, the varying speed. Because one minute she's crawling along, say crawling, but you know, not, next minute she's leaping around and spinning around across the screen. Have you found managing the camera on her? to ensure that the player has suitable sufficient information to know where they should where they're heading next so they are in terms of relative safety and where's their safe passage or where can they get how have you found that because i would have thought that would have been quite a challenge maybe i'm wrong but i think you've done a really good job of making sure that the player has a glimpse of where they're going but not too much otherwise they become you know, um, not challenged enough. So that 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 kind of balance of forming the player so they can react to it without being too forewarned to the point they become just a bit blasé about it. So could you talk us through that, please? Yeah, for sure that has been a challenge. I think one of the good things that worked for the camera is that if we have sort of if we think, you think about the game in terms of divided to exploration and combat parts and a lot of the combat parts we have like a fixed uh, not necessarily like a fixed camera in the sense that it wouldn't move at all but you have these pretty clear boundaries on the fight rooms and that helps quite a lot with the camera design and sometimes when you're moving really really fast you might even go outside the screen at certain points, but those are points where it doesn't matter because it's not like in the middle of a heck of a hectic fight or something. So it's fine because there's really nothing that can go wrong there. It's also also a part of this challenge for us is that anything you see on the screen, any sort of enemy or most enemies that work as attack targets mean that you can go there. Like that if you see it on the screen, then you can go there because you can attack that enemy. So that kind of also limits the design quite a lot. And sometimes when we've changed certain parameters in rooms, like we notice that, oh, the camera zoom is too close in this room. So we take it out a bit and then we notice, oh, but now we can see this enemy from here and <laughs> that doesn't work anymore. So we've had a lot of work like that. We've had to adjust where we place our elements based on the camera zoom and stuff so for sure a challenge but you know it's like the more you do it the more you get accustomed to it and it becomes kind of second nature to take those things into account so but it, initially it was a problem because you realized you created this movement mechanic which is very extremely dynamic and one minute, you know, it, it can be a very close range movement. Next minute, you could shoot across the screen. Yes. Um, so you just had to adapt to make sure the player wasn't hindered by this. Mm-hmm. So, sense of discovery in Doomblade is quite strong. 
one of the things that drove me to continue that and the sheer experience of it. But it's one of the things that stuff discovering new areas and what have you. And I, I never, I relied on what I should, where I should be going next, you know, based on where I haven't seen yet. You know, just open the map and go. Well, I haven't been down there yet. I probably need to go there next. Um. So when designing the overall world, what if what do you think? did you do to encourage that kind of behavior to make sure that the player is again sufficiently informed there's that phrase again whilst not you know wandering around aimlessly because that can be the death knell to a metroidvania where people are in a loop they're not sure where to go but i'd never personally found it with doomplay i was like well oh i know i've got a key from this thing over there i'll go down there and open that like that you just it wasn't deliberate. You didn't give breadcrumbs because they never really work, but you do give subtle hints. How have you found making sure that you basically respect the intelligence of the player? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think I think I think the answer is simply uh, trial and error and gut feeling. That's like. And and also that also all many times when when there's like a small thing like is is this now clear and then we are like maybe not but it's a Metroidvania so we can go with that <laughs> so, yeah it's true that we get away with like a lot more of course because it's a Metroidvania mm-hmm. and it's part of the genre that you explore and backtrack but at the same time we've had parts where. We've gotten yeah. feedback in testing that. Where the heck am I supposed to go now? So we might have thought something is clear enough, but then it's not. It's a fine line because you don't want to, in this genre, you don't want to hold hands too much. Mm-hmm. You don't want to make it linear. You want it to be about the exploration. So I guess we've more been on the side of uh, a little <laughs> too much exploration has been more the way we lean than the other way around. But there, yeah, but the, yeah, there really isn't any sort of like a systematic process. It's just trial and error, gut feeling. Next question. I want to talk about the enemies. Very imaginative. They do all weird and wonderful things to the point where the variety of them is not just in their, what their looks, but also their behaviours. Because, believe it or not, listeners, when you hit, when the Doomblade hits these creatures, many of them don't actually die. They just get stunned, or they might do something else. They might explode, or they might, you know, the behaviours is not just in what they're doing when they're, you know, when, you know, moving around, but also when you interact with them. I have to ask, why? How did that come about? Because typically when you're engaging with enemies in adventure games like this, they are reacting the same way, typically. But not with Doomblade. It's like every time you encounter a new creature, I'm going, oh, what's this going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell us, what was that like? Did you set out from the outset to do it that way? And how have you found designing them? And also how they interact with each other. That's a combined question there, but... Just basically the the enemy creatures in Doomblade, they are very imaginative in more ways than just visuals. It's also how they interact with you and each other. 
Yeah. Um, I guess it comes down to this, uh, this uh, trying to trying to sort of solve the puzzle of what can we do when we have this mechanic? We can click on the enemies and they just die. And then I like to, for some reason, I don't know exactly why, I like to solve the puzzle kind of over and over again. Like, <laughs> how can we make it so that there's an actual challenge with the enemy? So one of them could do this and one of them could do that. And then trying out these different options, noticing that a lot of them work, then why not just include them all for variety? Yeah, and I think Kim was doing like amazing job because every time we started making a new biome or in, uh, environment for the game, I mean, Kim always had like, you know, it's actually the gameplay and the feel, how it, how it feels to play, you know, should always try to be as, as fresh uh, you know, as possible, and that's why I think. But also, was driving us to try to get the enemies also different in all the all the areas. Yeah, totally. For me, it's an extension of the preventing the player from fe- getting complacent from at any point, feeling that they're completely safe. Oh no. <laughs> So, I mean, that's a sense of, like, an encouraged sense of anxiety, not a negative anxiety, but a sense of discovery, while at the same time trying to stop from themselves from being destroyed by the creatures that they encounter as they enter a new area, or indeed, indeed a new um, biome, if you like, is a phrase people like to use. But um, new environment. Yeah, definitely... The, the the constant struggle against complacency that's that's for me Doomblade. There's <laughs> a lot of that. Whether it's conscious, whether it's the conscious decision or not, you definitely wanted to dissuade players from feeling that they got this. They understood it. They'd be like, oh yeah, we, we I know I know how this works. Oh no, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the players on their toes. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last question. One of the things that struck me and is was the visual design, the overall visual design, and also the audio, both in the sounds, the spot effects, but also the score, the music score. Amazing stuff in Doomblade. It just everything is intertwined with each other. As that's no mean feat. It, they all complement each other. Sometimes you yeah. play games and there's jarring, that's there's, there's not quite there, but you've really somehow managed to marry all them all together to the point where it does look like a heavy metal album cover. Go you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Such kind of words. <laughs> so I have to ask, how have you found maintaining that pillar? Because clearly you had to. It would have been very easy to divert away from this. But no, you managed to you managed to bring it during the design process. What did you do to make sure that the path and the you know that Doom Girl never felt she was not she she shouldn't be there? That no, and indeed the Doom Blade, although technically it shouldn't have been there because it did lock it up for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers, everyone. Well, it's relative, isn't it? You know. 
depends on what size you're on. But um, if you're on a solid Doom blade, you know, terrible thing to do, lock it up. But point being, <laughs> could you could you talk us through that process to make sure that you because you you know you could have gone off and it would have become disconnected, but no, it's not. It's definitely this this one continu- uh, continuous thread, and that's it's the visuals and the sound and everything. That's that's the only continuity. Everything else is this, well, chaos, and in, in a good way. So how did this come mm. about? What did you do? How did you achieve it? It's a, it's a really tough question, but somehow I got this something kind of epic answer in my head for this as like, because <clears throat> in the very early days of this project, we were searching for uh uh, you know, someone to make the music for the for the game, and me and Kim had really a lot of similar like ideas and and how do you say like <laughs> desires or what kind of music we want to have in in the game and and uh, and and by a lucky uh, coincidence, we we found Brian Skeel and I guess somehow the music. Guy. Yeah, the musician Brian Skill who made the music for Doomblade and, and sounds. <laughs> so uh, I think somehow it was already there the connection in the first place because me and Kim work pretty well together, and that you know the music what we wanted was quite you know okay because we were searching for a lot of references when we were searching for the musician for what kind of music we want and and the music. What we sent for one guy who knew a lot of musicians. I think, I think that song actually had that feeling there already. And then with that music reference, we we found, well, for us was introduced Brian Skeel that he loves to make this kind of music. And I think when I uh, start make start making the graphics then kind of the the feeling was already there in me you know when starting to draw that uh art and then the music from brian was already that you know the kind of similarity in the in the feeling i'm kind of stuck with words but uh, i i hope you get the idea like kind of the similarity was already there with with us in the in the developers and in the with, with the musician to, to begin with so in, in that sense, it was quite organically grown together. Was were they brought on board quite early then? Sounds like they were. Yes. Yeah, before we even had any prototype, we had like maybe one or two sketches that we could kind of show to Brian, and when we were kind of pitching our idea for for the game. So that's it, isn't it? That's the key. I knew this was the case, but I wanted to make sure I was right and I interpreted it right, is that the reason the sound and the music and the score is so intertwined with the visuals and the experience is because they're there from the outset. Mm. And it's quite troubling to hear many developers don't do that, for whatever reason, Mm. but they don't Mm. actually have the sound engineer or composer on board from the outset. They bring them in maybe even a year sometimes or later, and say, okay, could you put some sound music to this now? 
and you get this yeah. disconnect. Sometimes it works out. Don't get me wrong. Some of the best yeah, musicians yeah, out there sure. works, and it's fine, and it's how it works. But for if you want something, uh, something so intertwined that, that that you've achieved with Doomblade, you need the musician and the sound engineer there, or sound composer, or what have you, sound designer, I should say, in there from the outset. It sounds obvious to the listener here, but uh, that's, that's you know it's a core component. The thing about video games is they draw from a lot of mediums, mm. pretty much all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why they are so amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many things, so many things come together, and and especially now that Doom Blade is out, it feels like. Uh, it's a miracle, like so many small things came together somehow. Like what just happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, pretty amazing. It is. I often cite, you know, you hear about musicians spending three years working on an album, like, really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no offense to them, but I'm just saying, just saying. <laughs> So I'm making a video game. We come back to it. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you heard of this video game? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Doomblade has been developed by uh, Miro Studios. Can I ask where the name comes from of the of the, of the developer or name? It's. I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was this kind of. When we were making our like first game, and there was this creature that's actually in the, in our logo, it was a creature in that game, and somehow, <laughs> the, for some of us, it looked like a cereal. Which and, is and there was more to it than that. It's it's that the sound sound effect when it yeah, eats okay. stuff. The sound effect when the monster eats stuff. Sounds like cereal, like it's made with cereal. Ah, yeah. So yeah. E- eating cereal or something like that, and muro means cereal. It's finished. Oh, cereal, so. there you go. So yes, and it's published by Iceberg Interactive. That's the booth I encountered uh, Doom played at at, uh, at Paxi. So you can thank them for that. There you go. <laughs> thank and, you, and, Iceberg. Yeah, they had a, they had a great booth there. They usually easily do, but it's really good. And can you tell us what platforms Doomblade is available on? PC now. And yeah, so Steam, uh, Epic Game Store, and Good Old Games. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, Kim and you, it's been wonderful having you on the show. You've been very open. It's been wonderful to be here. Been Thank you, open. Chris. Yeah, have been open and honest about the creation of Doomblade. And um, you're more than welcome to come back. Talk about what's next cooking in your brains, whatever that may be. <laughs> but, I can, but we've had a lot of return guests over the years, and trust me, we will be here. I know it's a long time away, two, three years, I don't know. We will be here, trust me. <laughs> but uh, until then, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>